Hello and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa, and the podcast is in partnership with PR Daily, which is the preeminent brand for public relations professionals delivering news, advice, opinions, and benchmarking via PRDaily.com. Join me there to find more episodes for the podcast. And if you like the podcast, please do leave a review and share it with your colleagues so that more folks can find it online. Thanks so much. Well, hello, and thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. This episode is the first in a series of new pubs on the street. I'm thrilled today to be joined by the senior editor at Grid News, Leah Ask-Arinam, who is uh, not only a star for Grid News, but has a long, long history of doing great work for a lot of big news outlets. So Leah, how are you? It's great to see you. Hi, thanks so much. It's good to see you. Right as we started, my cat started walking over. So when she makes an appearance, just letting you know, it's expected. I've barricaded (laughs) the doors uh, against my two rescue dogs who often make either a sound or otherwise. So this is all a homegrown (laughs) podcast. That's part of the charm of of the show. Um, So tell me, so let me start with this. How did you get, how did you get started in journalism? Gosh, that's a great question. And I mean, I've always been interested in journalism for as long as I can remember, even before I think I I knew I was. Like I remember in like seventh grade, we had to write a fictional skit. And in that skit, I was like an editor saying no to a oh wow. <laughs> like saying no to or no, I think I was a journalist saying no to an editor out of some sort of ethical principle. So at the time I wouldn't have told you I wanted to be a journalist, but that did happen. Um so uh, I started the high school newspaper, uh, then went to college and thought I might drop the newspaper thing and, you know, wrote one article and then was editor by senior year <laughs> uh, I love it. and got right back in. I took a little break to, to teach for a few years and um, ended up right back here. So I, I just as much as I love doing other things, and I really do, you know, I, I kind of like any sort of project. Um, it's hard to stop kind of thinking like a journalist when mm-hmm. you're at other positions and want to explain what's wrong to everyone. Yeah. Um, and that never really went away. Oh, that's awesome. Where, uh, where did you grow up? Where, what's, what's home for you? So I grew up right around here in okay. Bethesda. Okay. Yep. Um, despite the fact that a lot of people from here are obviously in politics, that was the last thing I wanted to do. Um, I actually ended up going to college in New Orleans because it was like as far away from Bethesda in my brain that I could get um, in terms of culture. Yeah. Um, But I've always really loved, you know, U.S. history and I majored in English and uh, ended up, of course, right back where, uh, I said I would never, I would never go, but I actually really like it. I know. And you know, what's so funny is that um, I had moved here myself 20 some years ago and I swore I'd go back to New Jersey after two years. And you know, the, it's just the job market is good here. The news is happening here. The The world that we're in is just, this is, this is where our work is, right? So this is, we're in the company, you know, that's the company town. That's what we do. We're part of this process. So talk to me a little, so you have spent time at, um, not only the New York Times, and um, you spent some time working at the hotline 
for National Journal. And I've been lucky enough to have Amy Walter and Reed Wilson and some of the other alum of that amazing publication on the show previously. Talk to me a little bit about about the work that you've done in the past, because you really you're not just a journalist covering you you covered the elections like you were really steeped in what was happening um, all across the country if you were at the hotline. So tell me a little bit about that experience for you. Yeah, I, I love the hotline and I'm sure Amy and Reed probably said the same thing. Yeah. Um, it really did kind of occupy a place in my heart that I wasn't expecting it to. I bet. Um, it's so, I mean, b- before I started at the hotline, I was working with Nathan Gonzalez at Inside Elections, oh, okay. which is, um, you know, one of the publications that rates individual House and Senate races. Mm-hmm. So there I was like super zoomed in on every, you know, every competitive district, every competitive state. Um, and, you know, you'd write 3000 words about one particular district and you had an audience that was incredibly like informed and committed. Mm-hmm. Um, then you go to hotline and it's actually a very similar audience. Um, but I got to step back a little bit mm-hmm. and because the hotline has uh, individual reporters for right. every beat. So there's a house reporter, a Senate reporter, a governor's reporter, and a national reporter. So it was such a, it, it was so fun mm-hmm. to like, look at kind of the day's news, look at what's happening across the board. And then also, you know, keep an eye on what the president is doing and start putting together puzzle pieces about what the national political scene looks like. Mm-hmm. And it made it really easy to see what's going on in a way that wasn't just kind of repeating the storyline of the day, because every day you had all of these, this collection of news in front of you from local newspapers, um, from, you know, outlets that most people in DC are not reading every day. Um, And they're just, it's all there. Mm -hmm. Um, So assembling that newsletter was, you know, and kind of coming up with a new format so that, you know, it's, it's been around since it was originally faxed to mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, coming up with a new format to bring um, new people into the to the kind of little hotline community uh, and then also getting to write the intro just about every day mm-hmm. about what was happening on the political scene. It's just like it's kind of a dream job. Oh, um, so, so cool to hear. Because I mean, for a political junkie like myself who grew up in New Jersey in doing elections, it was it was a must read. And it's also a great segue, I think, to what I now understand to be sort of the model of grid news is that you're really trying to not just report the same things that we're seeing everywhere. You're trying to really sort of bring all of those threads together to tell a broader story. Am I getting that right? Talk to me about grid news and what you guys are doing there. That's a really good observation. There are so many things in politics that I feel like we just kind of take for granted as true. Um, You know, the, for example, the president's party loses seats in the first midterm of the presidency, the party in power in the house loses seats. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, in so many circles, we just kind of repeat that wisdom and that gets reported. And then it gets so reported that we're all expecting a red wave. And it's sometimes nice to kind of stop and be like, wait, really? Like, 
and why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's kind of slowing things down a little bit. And sometimes that does end up questioning the conventional wisdom. That's not necessarily the purpose. It just kind of happens when you're mm-hmm. actually looking at, you know, how we got to where we are. It's always more complicated than, you know, the narrative that's that's kind of mo- most um, commonly adopted sure. and repeated. Sure. And I do think that, you know, I don't think everybody wants to know every, you know, geographic detail of all 435 congressional districts, but I do think it's helpful to have just more information about why it's complex, why, mm-hmm. yes, the president's party tends to lose its, lose seats in those midterms, but they might not this time, you mm-hmm. know, and of course it, it, it did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> kind of explaining, you know, what what is actually what are the microdynamics that explain this bigger picture? Mm-hmm. And and you guys have really uh, first off, it's good. I think that that's really important because I think we do report out the facts in a lot of different places, but we don't necessarily help people understand why it matters or how it affects other parts of of the issues and and the world that we care about it looks to me like at grid news you guys have quite a few verticals that you've identified as sort of your top priorities as one of the senior editors are you how is how is the structure for your particular role there like are you overseeing a particular set of verticals are you tell me a little bit about your job there at the at the publication yeah so i mean the obvious ones i oversee the politics reporter, the policy reporter. And I also oversee the economics reporter, um, which wouldn't be, you know, a kind of natural guess because as I said, when I first joined, I know enough about the economy to tell me what I need to know about the politics of the moment. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's kind of my, my limit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've discovered by editing our economics reporter and having a lot of sit downs mm-hmm. with him, um, Matthew Zeitlin, who's incredibly talented and incredibly patient at explaining things and really good at just kind of, you know, so many of these concepts I feel like are built as too complex for most people to understand. And they're just not, they're just, it's a matter of explaining it. Right. Um, and so I've become a better political observer now knowing, you know, what the Fed is up to and um, actually understanding upcoming trends or, or trends and what could be upcoming in the economy for inflation and employment. And it's been really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also, of course, misinformation is a huge part of what we um, cover. We have um, one misinformation reporter, like to specifically dedicated to misinformation, um, but it's it's a key part of all of our beats um, to, you know, that's kind of the lens that we all have to be looking through Mm -hmm. in 2023. Absolutely. And I love that it seems to be part of um, sort of the the value that the publication itself has too, is that you're looking to avoid specific words that sort of indict or, you know, I'm not, I can't remember offhand that what those words were, but I, I, I thought it was really interesting that you're the, the management team and the, and the team that you work with every day made a concerted effort to identify ways to, to not, um, 
not push forward a value or not push forward a, a news narrative unless you had specific feedback from everyone that was involved, which is was the goal of journalism, journalism as it started. It has changed and evolved over time. But I love that that seems to be sort of a core value for your publication at Grid specifically. Am I getting that right? Absolutely. I mean, there's... Before I send an article to copy, there is a very high likelihood that I've asked um, one of the other editors to read the same thing. One of us, um, my colleague on the health and science team, who's really brilliant, Lauren Morello, she and I were talking yesterday and she coined the term nerd read. So I <laughs> like when I'm, you know, we would just put up an article that was mostly a politics article about abortion, but you know, there is obviously a lot about health and um, health policy and being really careful with the language we're using. Mm -hmm. um, and Lauren was there to, you know, fill in, fill in where, where that's just not, that is, this is her whole life. You know, this right. has been what she has. This is her expertise sure. and lending that to us is incredibly valuable. Yeah. Well, it's, and I think that I think everyone endeavors to do that, but it's certainly for a team like yours that seems to be, well, actually, I was going to ask, how many folks are in the newsroom? It sounds like you guys really are a lean operation, too. Is that right? Oh, gosh. I want to give you a number, and I, I can't, um, but it's we're definitely still a small newsroom. We're bigger, yeah. I've heard. I grew, I um, joined in August, mm -hmm. so... From what I've heard, we're significantly bigger now than we were at launch. Um, I was not there at launch. Um, but yeah, it's a we have an amazing audience team and you know, graphics and data. So I'm some of those are newsrooms, some of them are newsroom adjacent. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is a it is well, I guess it's it's relative, right? Like it's a small team compared to you know, the New York Times, but it's a huge team compared to Nathan Gonzalez and inside elections. You right, know? right. So, right. But I mean, and it, it surprises me too, that there are so many smart verticals. Like I've, I've spent some time just sort of diving into the website and dive, you know, sort of digesting what it is you guys are doing. You really, it's smart, it's thoughtful, it's in depth. I, I really think you guys are doing just a great job at this. And, and so the launch one was when was it? Just before just, August? Yeah. Yeah. We Well, no, it was a year ago. We just had our one year anniversary last week. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really thrilled with it. I just, it feels like we're doing the right thing and we've gotten a good response. So that's awesome. So what was, uh, because there, there have been a couple now there, in fact, because, you know, I, I felt like it was important to give some highlight to the good work you guys are doing. Some of your other competitors that have also launched around the same time I'll be talking to this month. Talk to me a little bit about, um, having come from the New York times to a place like grid news. What is that? Was that a big adjustment for you? You know, I've been at a few different places and they've all been so different from mm. one another that it's kind of hard to, to even compare mm. like the transition from the hotlines, the New York times almost felt like more, like it, it felt a little bit bigger than from the New York times back to grid. Mm. Um, you know, it's it, here. It's, it's definitely, I've, I've, this is the first, you know, startup that mm. I've, that mm. I've worked at. Mm -hmm. um, every place else I've worked at has been around forever, like yeah. forever, you yeah. know, like, yeah. well, not 
except Stu Rothenberg did start inside elections not forever ago. He was he's still a young man. Right. Um, but um, they've been around for a long time. But longer so than a year. I mean, yeah. Longer <laughs> than a year. A, a few decades. Yeah. Um, so it's the first place I've gone where it's been relatively easy to come in and say, like, hey, I don't like that we do this in the news. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, how do we how do we not do that? Oh, that's fun. And um, you know, like in other places, obviously there's there's a desire to evolve and change, but there's a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of kind of, you know, it's a little harder to get buy-in. Right. Um, here everyone's just kind of eager to try something, to try something new. Mm-hmm. And we all recognize that um the news landscape just for a lot of people seems incomplete. Mm -hmm. Um, And with people who are on, you know, like news diets because it's too much or people who, um, you know, are are looking for things that are like truly non, nonpartisan, you know, like not centrist, nonpartisan. Um, We're kind of filling a, I think we all recognize that there's a real need for this kind of thing. And that's why we all, you know, that's why we all came here from different yeah. places that are, you know, generally some of them, you know, generally widely known. And we're like, let's let's try this out. And yeah. it's been really fun. Oh, that's awesome. And and I think that that's true of, of a lot of different places. A lot of people are trying to figure out, especially with social media, with all of the agitation that's gone on just in, in general. And as we consume information, how is it that people are digesting, you know, what's news and what's not? Um, so. Is there a particular story in the course of the time that you've been at Grid News that stands out as one that you were excited or you're especially proud of having worked on? Is there something that's? Oh, gosh, there there have been like it, I'm going to talk about articles I edited instead of articles yeah. I wrote yes. because that's it's a new. Yeah, that's just what I have. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to do that other thing. Of course. Um, But there was an article that um Maggie Severns, our policy reporter, um, wrapped up at the end of the year that essentially ended up being like a, a magazine-esque style article about why death is treated the way it is. And um, it, yes, there's an element of um, the conversation around human composting, which I know has been a little more widely covered, but it's, she goes into, you know, like the, the reason why we have caskets, like it all comes down to Abraham Lincoln. Um, and it just completely changed the way I view the world. (laughs) And I feel like that's, you know, that's a pretty powerful thing to do. So that's, that one's definitely close to, to top of the list. Wow. Talk about that too. Like policy and politics intersection in a way that you don't necessarily think of the two coming together. That's so interesting. Well, and it is, it is policy and politics, you know, like it's, it's how, how has this managed, how has this industry managed to, this death industry managed to stay the same for so long? Mm. And in the end, the answer is usually something having to do with policy and, you know, a, a political, either a lack of political will or a stunted political will. Um, and this article really gets into that. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. You have to watch if you haven't already on, um, I think it's on. Nat Geo. There's yes. A, there's a piece about, it's a six part series that um, Chris Hemsworth did called Limitless. And the sixth yes. episode is about 
like the the art of dying, which is it talks a little bit about that. So you'll have to you'll have to check it out. Okay, cool. I feel like this since this article has gone out, I've heard like I've been this might be one of the ones that has been recommended to me because it is there there are people who have been like coming out of the woodwork to just like be like, well, actually, did you also know this? And you know, I had no idea there was there were this many people who had already been following this topic and who are really interested in what Maggie had to add. Right. Right. And, and you never really, I mean, we never will, maybe it wouldn't have come to our attention because we spent so much time with the steady diet of politics and, you know, Capitol Hill, et cetera, et cetera. But that to me is also, that was something I, my husband and I just finished watching it and it was really interesting to see, I guess he's got an early uh, expectation that he could potentially have, um, the biomarkers for aut- uh, for um, Alzheimer's. And so, oh, anyway, wow. so he went through this whole sort of biohacking. Anyway, it's, you know, in the series, in the season of uh, being on a news diet, it was uh, after we watched the speaker uh, thing all unfold as it did two weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, um, we needed something lighter to watch. So that was the one. Oh, no, this sounds, I mean, one of the things that I think we're kind of learning as we, you know, develop the politics beat. And I'm, I'm really happy with where we are is, you know, there's, there's a way to be pertinent and topical and informative that is not completely um, overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, that there is like, if it's less overwhelming when you actually understand the entire picture, like we might not be able to give you certainty, but we can give you enough information so you understand why there's not certainty. And that's, that has been one of the things We've been trying or one of the reasons why I've been interested in thinking about the way we deliver and write news is because sometimes, you know, at the end of the day, I don't always want to feel like after a day following the news that I just need to go watch The Bachelor, you know, like, and and for the record, I still will, but like, I don't feel want to, I don't want to do it because I feel like I need to, because my brain can't handle any more Absolutely. What, um, are there any... Are there any trends or sort of storylines that you are, you and your team are sort of looking at for this year? Because this year is it's it stands to be a pretty busy year. Is there anything in particular that's standing out to you as something that you guys are going to be watching closely? Oh, so many. Um, I mean, the debt ceiling comes to mind, which oh, yeah. again seems like I know it's it's the debt ceiling. Um, it's not all. <laughs> it might not sound like the topic you want to be following every day, but the way that it's we've kind of had these conversations with the policy people and the economics team and the politics team, um, trying to understand like what it really is and what the stakes are and how this like seemingly bureaucratic thing that just kind of feels like a, like often a manufactured news event, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's how this will be different this year um, with the House Republican majority and how narrow it is. Um, There was a a story recently by, again, Maggie um, and another colleague, Steve Riley, um, that just looked into the Freedom Caucus's supporters and how there had been discussions relatively openly. When I say relatively openly, I think it was, you know, recorded on C-SPAN 3 or something. <laughs> so, you know, in the public <laughs> for those looking. Public, yeah. <laughs> um, that uh, 
you know, describes efforts to kind of make the Freedom Caucus feel like its own separate party from the Republican Party, kind of like a third party system, a parliamentary style system. Obviously, we are not a parliament. There's only so much that they can do. Um, But the fact that they see themselves, this kind of far right faction as something separate from the Republican Party, or at least that some some of the influential members of it do, Mm -hmm. um, tells us a lot about what, how the government will function and not function in the next year. And a lot of that is a story about the debt ceiling. Absolutely. I can't wait to, I can't wait to follow that. Cause I do think that that's the one thing for those of us that maybe aren't, uh, experts. I know that I myself have had a chance to talk radio TV and some other opportunities about the debt ceiling. And I have been trying to sort of figure out how to thread that needle. So I'll be following grid news a lot more closely in the next no, couple of weeks and months. Cause I want to know, you know, it's not so much about the debt ceiling as much as it's about the intersection of, of, of a policy that ultimately will affect the political outcome, perhaps of the speaker or some of these other things that are happening over the course of time. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, as a campaigns person, like I knew about, I knew enough about the debt ceiling to, you know, figure out who was in political trouble. That was kind of, you know, but I could tell you everything about, you know, Montana's electoral history, like everything there is. But um, one of the things that I've, I've really learned being here with these kind of really thoughtful people is like, yeah, you kind of should know what's going on with the debt ceiling and you can. And I love that. Yeah, totally love it. We need it. Absolutely need it. All right. So when you're not uh, figuring out the intersection between politics and policy, uh, what is it that keeps you busy on the weekends? What kinds of things are you are you up to in the world? Uh, oh gosh. Well, it may surprise you that I'm a huge nerd. Um, so <laughs> good um, to know another one. <laughs> so sometimes it is a combination of um catching up on if, if I had not watched The Bachelor that week. Gotta make sure I'm I'm up to speed on that. Um right now I'm on a kick, like a Jane Austen kick okay. where I'm just kind of obsessed with rereading Persuasion mm-hmm. and um, Pride and Prejudice frequently. And um, yeah, that's kind of what I do. That's, that awesome. is- that's good. <laughs> I keep threatening to put together a Friday Reporter bookshelf because I feel like so many of us are always looking for either book and or like streaming recommendations. Just because on the weekends, like you really have to turn your brain off. And, you know, a lot of times our job is so busy that we're on our feet or we're in front of people all week long that so we really just kind of want to cocoon. We want to be at home. We want to hide out with a book or hide out with something to watch and really not be out and be social. So that makes a ton of sense to me. Oh, absolutely. Especially this time of year. It's like you must you must leave the yeah. apartment. <laughs> Can't oh. stay here forever. Right, right, right. Well, as we get to the co- end of our conversation today, Leah, I have to ask, because uh, I'm built, I'm still building the list of great re- journalists to talk to. Who would you recommend for a future episode? I mean, you got to get the new hotline editor in here, Kirk Beto. He's uh, steering the ship now and it's, it's looking really good. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to hear what he has to say. These elections, they just keep getting more and more interesting, you know, and these candidates and this whole George Santos, they're like, what, you know, what impact is that kind whole of George Santos that whole thing? thing is just gets weirder and weirder every day. I know. <laughs> you can't write it, you know, nope. like, 
Yeah. No, it it's just wild. keeps getting interesting. Well, awesome. Well, I'll reach out to Kirk and I will tell him that you recommended him and I will continue to keep eye on all this great work that you're doing at Grid News. Leah, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks so much for having me. And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.